Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, so yeah, my name's Brian Hughes. Find me online at Nebrius and all the places. Uh, and you know, this is a talk I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, I actually came, first came up with like the original kernel of an idea for this talk at this very conference two years ago. So I think it's fitting that I'm able to actually give it here at JSConf EU because this is a really special conference. I think we've all felt that you know it's. Great technical content, of course, uh, you know, some of the leading technical content, but really we're a community more than that. Uh, and so, like, as you can probably guess, I, especially if you've ever read my Twitter bio, I'm bisexual, polyamorous, and a bunch of other stuff you can kind of go read there. Uh, some things that aren't at least in my bio, uh, I was born in Texas in the United States, which is one of the most conservative parts of the country. So I grew up there in the 80s and 90s, so a little older than I look. Uh, Things were a little different back then. And so I'm going to talk today about, yeah, kind of like queerness and tech and like how these things sort of intersect in all kinds of different ways. Because the truth is, it's complicated. There's no like binary tech is good, tech is bad, or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's just kind of all over the map. And so I really want to dig into what these things are, really. Like, you know, how tech helps, how tech hurts, and how tech can be better. Uh, now, I'm just one person, and you know, we talk about the queer community a lot, uh, but it's not just one community. There's not just one type of person in it. You know, the queer community is you know, a federation, really. There are lots and lots of different communities with a lot of different people and a lot of different experiences. So, of course, disclaimer, I speak for myself. I did reach out to a number of other queer folks that I know, friends of friends, things like that, to try and get a lot of different perspectives as well, though. So you'll see some quotes from other folks in this, so that I'm hopefully at least not just speaking for myself. Uh, before we get into it, this talk does come with some content warnings, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, so if any of these uh, parts of this talk are difficult or uncomfortable for you, please take care of yourself, feel free to step outside, anything like that. So I want to start by setting the stage a little bit and go back in time a little bit. Talk about one of the fathers of computer science, uh, Alan Turing, who made innumerable contributions to both computer science as well as artificial intelligence. You know, the sort of renaissance we're seeing right now in tech, you know, artificial intelligence, the big new thing. Like, Alan Turing was talking about it in the first half of the 20th century. And Alan Turing was also gay. And he was persecuted for it. I think in a way it's fitting that we start by talking about tech and queer employees, given in a way Alan Turing was kind of the first queer tech employee, at least that we know of. And so we, when we talk about being a queer employee, like tech is very complicated. You know, I'm queer and I'm a tech employee. I think a lot of folks in this audience here are. Uh, and so it's really complicated. Like the first thing, I want to talk about like, one of the best things is that tech offers us stable employment. Uh, and as queer folks, this is really important because a lot of queer folks are just 
not financially stable. Uh, regardless of the family we come from, so many were you know, kicked out of their homes when they were young. So even if there was wealth in the family, that often didn't translate to the queer kids themselves. And so like, having financial stability is important. Uh, and with tech, if we compare it to other professions that pay about the same and offer the same stability, tech tends to be one of the most accepting, at least in that strata of professions. As a queer tech worker, I have a job that is intellectually challenging and offers economic stability. I do my best to pay it forward and pass that money along to people who need it. One of the first issues, though, that we tend to run into, uh, and this is kind of a meta one, is corporate pride is rainbow capitalism. Uh, all right, I threw out, I think, about three different definitions at you, so let's break this down a little bit. So first, the concept of pride in the queer community. That's really, really important to us. Because for centuries and millennia, we were told that who we are is something to be ashamed of. It's not. And it's taken a lot of work for us to become proud of who we are. And so pride is very, very important to us. And we're starting to see a lot of companies uh, expressing queer pride in various different ways. And so this corporate pride is kind of, it's a new thing, of course. When we really look at it, though, it's what we call rainbow capitalism. Uh, and so rainbow capitalism is whenever companies, institutions, whoever engages with the queer community, not to help the queer community, but in order to further their own interests, usually to sell more products, make more money. And what we end up seeing is that corporate pride ends up being just another reflection and lens of rainbow capitalism. The tech industry is engaging in a queer-specific version of diversity theater by sponsoring events like the Pride Parade. They market themselves as queer-friendly to improve their brand and sell more products, and most of them are not doing anything to make the life better for queer people. Queer ERGs, which are employee research groups, should be run by queer employees. However, it's also important that you value the work people are putting into this. I was the head of the Queer Employee Resource Group for a while, and that work was seen as completely extracurricular, and I missed out on a promotion as a result. See, companies want to take the work they do in order to further their own interests, and they don't actually give back. They don't support us in that. They only take it from us. And our other intersections are compounded. You know, when we talk about social justice, we talk a lot about intersectionality, and that absolutely applies to queerness as well. And one of the things that I think is important to note about this is, you know, we tend to think about diversity and inclusivity as like different axes. Uh, and this is not necessarily wrong, but these axes are not independent. And this is something we have to remember. When people have more than one marginalization they're dealing with, this is not an additive operation, this is a multiplicative one. And they inform each other, and they influence each other, and that makes things a lot more complicated. When my disability became ongoing, it was hard to tell whether I was being put on smaller projects because of my disability, gender, or actual job performance. I'm definitely more marginalized for my Judaism and ADHD, but that's only because I've been working in queer-friendly cities. I'm marginalized for both my queerness and my race. Queer rights isn't an equal playing field. Race always has something to do with it. All 
Our pain is ignored and dismissed. Just after the Pulse nightclub shootings, I mentioned to a coworker that I was going to hold a moment of silence at an upcoming All Hands. My coworker said, "I don't think tech companies should take a stance on that kind of thing. I like the idea of being neutral." Like, what the fuck? I didn't say anything because I didn't feel safe to speak up to this person who thinks that companies shouldn't condemn gun violence against queer people of color. Tech is never. Neutral, and the only way you can actually think that tech is neutral if you live in a position of extreme privilege. But tech is a part of this world; it always has been. And it shapes this world in a way that no industry does in this day and age. And you know, actually, I should say something else on this. So, like, I actually have my own story with Pulse as well. Uh, I had been working at Microsoft, I think, about three, four months. I was working on a product team before I got into my current role now.、Uh, and Pulse nightclub shooting, shooting happened on a weekend, and, and I think every queer person remembers that weekend pretty clearly,、uh, at least if you're connected to the queer community at that time.、Uh, and I was working on a remote team, something I'm very grateful for in retrospect. But we had to stand up Monday morning, and. I'm devastated, of course.、Uh, like every queer person that I know, every queer person I talk to, was just a complete and utter wreck. So I hop on our call. You know, this is a virtual call. Thankfully, no video. And like, I'm barely able to speak. And everyone else on my team, all cis straight men, by the way, they were just asking about each other's weekends. They were laughing and joking, like as if nothing had happened. And. Like I, I'm, already, I'm struggling so much already, and that made me feel so much more alone in that moment. Because it, it was a reminder that, you know, most people aren't queer. Most people don't have to deal with that, and most people don't care. So, what can tech employers do? First, let's talk about hiring. And this is just a few things. Like we could spend an entire talk on this alone. But let's give you a couple of things. First of all, is ignore social media. Like, if you're hiring, just don't even look at a person's social media account, because the truth is, if we're going to talk about our daily lives, that means talking about things that some people will find controversial. And if we're not going to talk about our daily lives, you know, the way that privileged straight cis white folks do, then like we get punished in ways they don't, or we have to hide it, which is effectively going back in the closet. But then if we talk about other marginalizations on top of it, it gets even worse. So, like again, if you look at my bio, you know, I'm on Twitter. I mentioned that I'm bi and poly, and I try to be out about that. But you know what? If a, a bi queer woman, especially of color, said the same thing, that would probably disqualify them from being hired, but not me. The other thing is to understand variances in employment history. This is especially true for trans folks, because the truth of the matter is that. Queer folks in general have a tougher time finding employment. Just there are more issues we have to deal with,、uh, and the more marginalized, the more intersections there are, the more difficult it is. You know, people find themselves in really bad situations at work; they get discriminated and have to leave. 
And so, especially the more marginalized folks in the trans community tend to hop around jobs a lot. It's not the fault of the queer person, it's the fault of the companies. But in hiring, they get punished, the queer person gets punished for it all the same. So we need to understand that and stop looking at that. So then we can talk about HR, once people are actually, you know, in the company. You know, implicit bias training. This is kind of an obvious one, and there are a lot of problems with current implicit bias trainings, but this is still important. You know, we all have biases. This is the nature of the human condition. Every single person has some biases. You know, we can't understand everyone's viewpoint in the world. We didn't simultaneously grow up in every single country to simultaneously being born to, you know, dozens of different types of parents. Like, we cannot understand everyone's position uh, innately because we just don't have those experiences. And the best way we can get through that is through education. And of course, also, we need to improve implicit bias training. And also, we need to take sexual harassment and assault claims seriously. This is especially true for queer women. Because this is an issue in the industry for all women, but again, intersectionality, this comes into play. For queer, queer women face even more issues. Uh, there was, I remember a study came out a while ago that showed that like, bi women actually face more discrimination than lesbian or straight women, as it turns out. And there's a whole complicated host of reasons for that, but it's true. And so taking these claims seriously benefits queer people especially, and people of color, and other intersections as well. Inclusion, you know, gender-neutral language in bathrooms. You know, we have gender-neutral bathrooms here at this conference, and you know, this is actually part of the venue, right? They didn't do that last-minute switch that a lot of conferences do. Like, you could do it at a concert venue, you can do it at work. And same thing with language. You know, don't use he, him, and document, documentation, stuff like that. And of course, depending on the language, this is a little different. Some languages, it's easier to do gender-neutral pronouns than others. But you know, regardless of the language, figure out what is the queer community talking about in that language and in that culture, and figure out how to support them with language. Preferred names and pronouns. And this is especially important in companies. And this comes up in a lot of places we don't think about. You know, unfortunately, for legal reasons, most companies have to have your legal name. But a person's, especially a queer trans person's, their legal name is often not their real name. And we want to make sure that we understand that and we propagate that through our system. So, you know, if you have, you know, HR websites to log in to look at your benefits, make sure you're showing their preferred name there, not their legal name. In your email, you know, we all have like our email, corporate email account, make sure that that shows your preferred name, not your legal name, and so on and so forth. Create queer-only spaces. You know, I bet a lot of us use Slack at work, so make sure that in those Slacks there's a queer-only space. And same thing for other marginalizations, by the way. We need space to talk amongst ourselves where we're not having to constantly do one-on-one -on -one education. And of course, let queer people speak and listen. Stop speaking for us and thinking that you know what is best for queer people at your company. So let's back out and talk about tech and the broader queer community. So this is actually where one of the biggest benefits of tech comes into play. And this is one of the most transformational ones that I've seen, and it's that tech enables us to escape our isolation. You know, this is one of the biggest differences I've seen from when I was a kid to when I was in college. Because when I was a kid, there was no internet. Uh, and even when I was in high school, it wasn't really there. But now we can actually find community online, and this is deeply powerful. Tech makes it easier to find and meet community. Grindr, FetLife, et cetera, make finding like-minded people or people with the same sexuality a lot easier than flagging and asking about my friend Dorothy. Although if you don't know that reference, there's a reason, go read up on it. 
tech makes it easier to find porn, which helps with sexuality discovery. This is actually really important. I mean, this is something that a lot of folks don't think about. But you know, when we grow up in a society that tells us we are supposed to have certain a certain orientation, you know, certain sexual desires, we have to dispel with that. We have to figure something else. And interestingly enough, porn is actually a really good way to do that. And this is, you know, porn is tied into tech. So we need to. This is so useful in so many ways. Queer folks spend most of our lives in some form of social isolation due to the hostility and violence of the cis-heteronormative society we are forced to live in. So having tech provide a space for all of us to be ourselves and meet people like us matters. Tech has allowed isolated people to find thousands or millions of others just like themselves. Queer folks of all stripes have found a large receptive community to help them feel normalized and legitimate. The trans rights movement has proceeded so quickly, in part due to the ability of isolated trans people being able to find a multitude of peers going through the same process. But tech asserts its biases on the world. I think the biggest harm is training AI systems that incorporate existing bias and then treating those systems as oracles and always correct. Also, unlike with human interactions where you can negotiate, if a tech solution isn't coded to do something, there's no way to do it. You know, if you're a queer, non-binary, or trans person going to sign up for a service and they only have a male-female radio check button, you know, you can't talk to the website and have that extra check button appear. It's just not there. You can't do it. As tech creation is often driven by powerful cishet men, their worldview is then baked into the tech they create, which is then spread throughout the world. Via the internet, the internet now shapes our culture, and often it is a small portion of the straight world who is setting that culture. Tech is also complicit in gentrification. Now, gentrification is a complicated topic, and there's not just one single cause, but tech absolutely does play a role in it. Societally, some of the safest spaces for queer communities are in big cities like New York, San Francisco, and yes, here in Berlin. However, tech is hyper-gentrifying those areas, making it impossible for most queer folks to live. And when queer folks can't live in places that are safe for them, that means they have to move to places that are not safe for them. I live in San Francisco, so my local community pretty much got destroyed by gentrification, along with everything else that's good and beautiful. And I live in San Francisco, and I have to agree. Social media tech refuses to fix hate. And bullying. Online spaces have been increasingly hostile towards marginalized groups speaking up about their oppressions, and that's pretty fucking shitty. Like I, I've seen this a couple of times myself. Friends, friends of friends, where they are being harassed by white supremacists on Twitter, and they stand up for themselves. Tech doesn't come in and ban the Nazis; they ban the queer person standing up for themselves. I've seen this many times. The tech industry is profiting from social media platforms that enable harassment of queer and trans people, as well as spreading fascist ideologies. The tech industry has the power and resources to quarantine harassment and hate speech because we do it with spam and email. It's just that harassment and hate speech don't affect the white men in charge of the industry. And the harm of viralness is intersectional. You know, I think we've all heard various stories in the media about someone does something, says something, whatever. It goes viral, 
and then their lives are ruined. This is compounded by intersectionality. There's a lot of stories I can tell. There's actually a very specific story I want to tell, though. Uh, about two months ago, a trans black woman in Dallas, my hometown, I grew up in Dallas, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, her name is Malaysia Booker, and she was assaulted in a parking lot. Someone recorded it, and it went viral. After the attack, she had this to say. This time, I can stand before you after I was attacked, whereas in other scenarios, we are at a memorial. So what can tech companies do? The first is safety, and start by banning the Nazis. Get rid of real name policies. Like Facebook still has a real name policy. And I use finger quotes because these are not people's real names. They're their legal names. And I've seen this abused in many ways. You know, trans people are banned from Twitter because they dare to use their real name. And speak out against anti-queer legislation. We're seeing more and more anti-queer legislation hopping up in the United States, here in Europe, and around the world. And there is precedence for this, by the way. Uh, a year or two ago in the United States, when some of the really bad anti-immigration policy was first being forced through, you know, Microsoft released statements condemning that. We should do that with anti-queer legislation, too. And again, ban the fucking Nazis. It's 2019. Why are we having this conversation again? In respect, stop using us as props to promote yourselves. We are not things in your game. And put your money where your mouth is. Companies will spend tens of thousands of dollars on one float in one pride parade. Yes, they actually cost that much. But you know what? They don't give a single dollar to any nonprofit that actually helps queer people. They only want to look good. They don't give a shit about us. So, like, where will the future take us? And you know, this is something I'm torn on myself. Like, I don't know where we're going to end up in all of this. Uh, some days I'm pessimistic, some days I'm hopeful, and today I'm going to choose to be hopeful, though. I want to read to you some excerpts from a speech from some time ago, actually, by Harvey Milk, who was a famous queer activist, and I think he had a lot of really good things to say. Like every other group, we must be judged by our leaders and by those who are themselves gay, those who are visible. For invisible, we remain in limbo, a myth, a person with no parents, no brothers, no sisters, no friends who are straight, no important positions in employment. The anger and the frustrations that some of us feel is because we are misunderstood, and friends can't feel the anger and frustration. They can sense it in us, but they can't feel it, because a friend has never gone through what is known as coming out. I will never forget what it was like coming out and having nobody to look up toward. I remember the lack of hope. And our friends can't fulfill it. I can't forget the looks on faces of people who've lost hope. Be they gay, be they seniors, be they black folks looking for an almost impossible job, be they Latinos trying to explain their problems and aspirations in a tongue that's foreign to them.
You know, I use the word I because I'm proud. I stand here tonight in front of my gay sisters, brothers, and friends because I'm proud of you. In San Francisco, three days before Gay Pride Day, a person was killed just because he was gay. And that night, I walked among the sad and the frustrated at City Hall in San Francisco and later that night as they lit candles on Castro Street and stood in silence, reaching out for some symbolic thing that would give them hope. These were strong people, these faces I knew from the shop, the streets, meetings, and people who I never saw before, but I knew. They were strong, but even they needed hope. And the young gay people in the Altoona, Pennsylvanias, and the Richmond, Minnesotas, who are coming out and hear Anita Bryant on television and her story, the only thing they have to, forward to look to is hope. And you have to give them hope. Hope for a better world, hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for a better place to come to if the pressures at home are too great. Hope that all will be all right. So without hope, not only gays, but blacks, Asians, seniors, the handicapped, the us's. The us's will give up. So if there's a message I have to give, is that I found one overriding thing about my personal election, is the fact that if a gay person can be elected, it's a green light. And you, and you, and you, you have to give them hope. Thank you.